In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For all the kids and teens up through the ninth grade, please come forward. You want me to? You want me to do it again? Ready? <laughs> Don't you love that? You like that, Jeremy? You like that? Well, I want to talk this morning about, about, what do I want to talk about? <laughs> you know, before I became a priest, I grew up in a family with eight boys and a girl and um, mom and dad and and so we were always playing together and I was I was kind of an introvert you know what an introvert is someone who doesn't like to get out and talk with people sort of thing likes to hang by himself or with your brother or somebody you're really familiar with you like your friends and you know but you don't try to move out beyond that I was an introvert and then, and then God, and then after high school, I wasn't going to college. Nobody in our family went to college, was going to college. And, but, but after high school, the Lord, in, in a dream, all through the night, spoke to me, and he said he wanted me to be a priest in his church. And I thought, he spoke to me. Jeremy, did the Lord, Jeremy, does the Lord ever speak to you? Jeremy. Okay. <laughs> If, he, if the Lord does, I bet you don't listen, huh? <laughs> so anyway, so, so the Lord spoke to me, and, and, and I thought to myself, what? You want me to get up and speak in front of people and be with people? You want me to do that, God? And God, in God's way, God said, it's okay. I'm going to be with you. And it took me, a, it took, I had to go to college to get my undergraduate degree, which for, for me at that time, because I was married and had a child and was working full time and owned a business, I went at night school. It took me eight years and I went to a seminary uh, for three years. I got my master's and, and I kept wondering, how, God, how do you want me to do this? I can't do this. And I also had stomach problems, really nervous stomach, really nervous stomach if I, if I was supposed to do something important, my stomach would always bother me. So I went to the bishop right before I graduated seminary, and I told the bishop, I said, Bishop, I said, I don't, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. You know, I've been following the Lord's lead. He's called me to do this, and I've had open door after open door after open door. And he said, and I said to him, I, I, I don't know how I, I'm going to get up and preach in front of people if I have stomach problems. He said, you know what? I had the same problem. When I got ordained, it went away. I said, okay. You know what happened when I got ordained? It went away. I didn't have that kind of stomach problem anymore. God took it away from me. God called me to the priesthood and he put me in the place and he's going to help take care of me and help me to do what God wants me to do. Now, I'm not perfect, but I do what God wants me to do. And as long as I'm obeying God and obeying the scriptures 
then God's going to be right there with me and loving me and holding me and guiding me and caring for me. Just like Jeremiah this morning, a little boy. I mean, well, he was probably a little bit older, a teenager. And, and God said, Jeremiah, I want you to do this. And, and Jeremiah said, I'm only a little boy. I, can't, I don't know how to talk right. God said, I, I got it. That's what God said. I got it. I'll take care of it. And so that's what I want to tell you. That whatever God calls you to do, and, and God already has you in the palm of his hand, each one of you. But whatever God calls you to do, and he's probably already called you to do some things, just the way you act and move around, because God knew you before you were born. God knew your name before you were born. And so God takes you and he guides you and leads you, usually through your parents and through your church, all that, right? But God leads you and takes care of you. And, and when he calls you to do something and you think, I can't do that. I'm only a little girl. I'm only a little boy. God's got you. God will take care of it, okay? Remember that. God, I've been in ministry for 30 years now. 30, I don't know. Since 89, since 1989. And uh, God's always taken care of me. I mean, I've been in ministry all my life. I've been in ordained ministry since 1989. You're ministers too. Everyone in here is a minister through our baptism. Okay? All right. Remember that. And if you want to stay, oh yeah, we're not, we don't have children's chapel at the service. Go get a packet from Mr. Music and you can color and, and write while you listen to me preach. Okay? Thank you for coming up and being a part of this. Oh, somebody left me a leaf. Thank you for your kindness, whoever that was. I'm sure it was Alter Guild. So uh, I know we have some, uh, uh, one or two new people. I can't, I know you're new here. The congregation really insists that I tell a joke or two before the, before the, before the sermon. And so I just apologize right now, but they make me do this. So there was a minister, there was a minister who um, was just about finishing up his sermon against all the evils of alcohol. And with great emphasis, he said, if I had all the beer in the world, I would go and throw it in the river. And with even greater emphasis, he said, if I had all the wine in the world, I would go and throw it in the river. And finally, shaking his fist in the air, he said, if I had all the whiskey in the world, I would go and throw it in the river. And he sat down, the sermon was over, the organist was up. <laughs> he smiled to himself. He said, for our closing hymn, let's stand and sing hymn number 365, Shall We Gather at the River? <laughs> and maybe you heard the one about the elderly gentleman who had serious hearing problems for a number of years he went to the doctor the doctor was able to find him some really nice hearing aids to where he could hear a hundred percent better this elderly gentleman he goes back to this same doctor in a month and the doctor asks your, your hearing is perfect your family must be really pleased that you can hear again and this elderly gentleman replied oh I haven't told my family yet 
I just sit around and listen to the conversations and I've changed my will three times now. <laughs> Our gospel reading is from the Gospel of Luke this morning. This story is part tragedy and part hope. Luke is the only gospel writer who records this event in the life of Christ, because probably because Luke was a doctor, a physician, and he would have been drawn to a story like this story. He doesn't go into a lot of detail. In only three verses, he tells us that there was a woman who was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. And when I talk about bent over, I'm assuming it was more like this, not able to stand up straight. We don't know her name. We don't know her family background. What we do know is that she had this condition for 18 years. The implication is that she had not been born with it. Perhaps it was some sort of calcium deficiency or a spinal injury or some extreme case of osteoporosis. Who knows? We don't know. We're simply told that a spirit had crippled her. Jesus called her over and he said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And we're told that she suddenly stood erect and began praising God. I'm not quite sure what to make of this spirit, but in some way it is responsible for this woman's tragic circumstances. And as we take a, take a closer look at this story, we see other spirits involved as well. There's this first crippling spirit. Because of her particular infirmity, she was bent over. Her eyes were always facing the ground. She missed the sky and the birds and the rainbows. But physical sickness can do far more than just bend a back. It can also rob us of our livelihood. It can cause bankruptcy. It can take us away from our families. It can cause severe depression. Sickness, real sickness, rearranges life. Many of us have experienced that. That is what is so disturbing about the synagogue ruler. He was so insensitive to this woman's plight. Yes, he did have truth on his side. Healing is work, and it should not have been done on the Sabbath according to their laws. But Jesus had a greater principle on his side. Jesus had compassion. And compassion trumps ritualistic rules every day, even the rule of the Sabbath commandment. For this reason, Jesus said to the leader at the synagogue, you hypocrite, do you not take care of your animals on the Sabbath? Isn't this woman, this daughter of Abraham, this daughter of the covenant of more value than your animals? What Jesus is saying is that restrictions and laws and rules and institutions can, if we are not careful, Keep us from rising to the heights of charity to which we are called. 
There is no inappropriate time to express compassion. Love God, love your neighbor. If you do that, you can toss away all of those scribal laws. So the first spirit at work has attacked the woman. She has been bent physically. The second spirit has also attacked this woman and others, but not physically. It attacked her spiritually. She has been attacked by a spirit which has crippled her soul those 18 years. Listen to the details as Luke relates them. He tells us that this was the Sabbath day, which is the key to understanding what is really happening in this gospel story. He also tells us that this woman has had her condition for 18 years. Both of these points are very important to the lesson. What Luke is saying here is that this was not an emergency situation. The same holds true for the man in another part of this same gospel, the man with the withered hand whom Jesus also healed on the Sabbath. This man had probably been born with this condition. It easily could have waited till the next day. Both of these cases could have waited to the next day. These were not emergency room situations. On the other hand, if Jesus had healed, let's say, a small child on the Sabbath who was burning up with fever and in imminent danger of dying, it perhaps would have made perfect sense even to the synagogue ruler. But that kind of healing would have undermined the point that Jesus is making. You see, this was a test. Jesus was purposely, flagrantly breaking scribal law to make a point. And that point was people are more important than rules. We all need to be reminded of this from time to time. This synagogue ruler in the story didn't see it that way because he had already dehumanized this woman. Once you dehumanize someone and label them, you can easily dismiss them. Two things happen when we have too much of a legalistic spirit. First, our rules rule us. And second, our rules supersede the well-being of others. I'll tell you a story. There was a certain man who went through the forest one day seeking any bird of interest he might be able to find, and he caught a young eagle. He brought it home, put it among the fowls and the ducks and the turkeys, and he gave it chicken food to eat, even though it was the king of birds. Five years later, this naturalist comes along, and after passing through the garden said, sir, that bird is an eagle, that's not a chicken. And the owner said, yes, but I have trained it to be a chicken. It is no longer an eagle. No, said the naturalist, it is still an eagle. It has the heart of an eagle. It has the wingspan of an eagle, and I will help it soar high into the heavens. No, said the owner, it is a chicken, and it will never fly. Well, they agreed to test it. 
The naturalist, he picked up the eagle, held it up, and with great intensity, he said, eagle, you are an eagle. You belong to the sky and not to this earth. Stretch forth your wings and fly. Well, the eagle turned this way and that way, and then looking down, saw the chickens eating their food. Down he jumped. The owner said, I told you it was a chicken. Naturalist said, no, it is an eagle. Let's give it another chance tomorrow. And so the next day, he took it to the top of the house and said, eagle, you are an eagle. Stretch forth your wings and fly. But again, the eagle, seeing the chickens feeding, jumped down and fed with the chickens. The owner said, see, I told you it was a chicken. The naturalist asserted, no, it is an eagle, and it has the heart of an eagle. Only give it one more chance, and I will make it fly tomorrow. Well, the next morning he rose early, and he took the eagle outside the city and away from the houses to the foot of this, to the foot of this high mountain. And the sun was just rising gilding the top of the mountain with gold and every peak was glistening in the joy of the beautiful morning and he picked the eagle up and he said eagle you are an eagle you belong to the sky and not to this earth stretch forth your wings and fly and the eagle looked around and began to tremble a little as if new life were coming into him but it did not fly. And the naturalist then grabbed its head and made it, made it look straight at the sun. And suddenly it stretched out its wings and with the screech of an eagle, it flew out of his hands and mounted higher and higher and higher and it never came back. Though it had been kept as a chicken, it was an eagle. You see, you take us humans and you put us among the turkeys and the chickens in this world. You give us so many rules to live by and tell us that we are moral people so long as we live by all of those rules and we will contently live out our lives in meager existence. But you let someone like Jesus come along and straighten our backs and point our head towards heaven. And then suddenly we realize that we are sons and daughters of Abraham. We are God's chosen people. We are not chickens. We are eagles. Society has a way of dehumanizing us. When we allow this to happen, we fail to see our worth before God. The woman who was bent over in the synagogue ruler's opinion was only a woman of little value. The Mosaic law was more important than this woman, let alone being a disfigured woman. Now, now listen to this. This woman's back was bent. That much is true. But a legalistic spirit bent the synagogue ruler's soul all the more. Nothing can choke the heart and the soul of our walk with God like legalism. And believe me, I am the very first person to say 
that a Christian really ought to be disciplined, spiritually disciplined. And if you go astray, morally disciplined. But when we become rigid in our beliefs, it is a definite sign that the disciplines of the Christian life have crippled us. Now this does not mean that we that we don't have to follow rules. That's not what it means. But it does suggest that we must be careful and not let the rules rule us. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus comes to us as the restorer of humanity. God sees each of us as a unique individual precious to him. And this brings us to the third spirit at work in this story. It is the spirit of joy. Remember the scene with me. We have Jesus who has been invited on the Sabbath to address the congregation in the synagogue and to knock over the candlestick. If you had your eyes closed, I just hit the candlestick. And I'm sorry to wake you up. So you've got Jesus. Then you have the synagogue ruler who has invited him off to the side. And then you have the congregation who has heard so much about this young man named Jesus. They are so excited to have him here in their church, in their synagogue that morning. That's the scene. The stage is set. Enter stage left, a hobbled, frail woman who is known throughout the small community. They call her the cripple. Luke doesn't even know her name. She is simply the hunchback. She doesn't address Jesus, by the way. The scriptures tell us that when Jesus saw her, he called her to himself. Jesus takes the initiative, tells her that she is set free, that she is healed. Just like that, after 18 years, she is freed from that which has bound her. At this, I am convinced that the entire town present at the synagogue that morning wanted to shout with joy as she was praising God. But the ruling authority shut it down. And that's a shame. Sometimes we simply have to express joy because of a healing or an accomplishment or a victory. We have to say thank you to God. So never, ever count people out. If they are sick, let's heal them. If they are down on their luck, let's assist them. If they are not up to the task, let's teach them. If they have a burden, let's lift it. If they have failed, let's encourage them. Jesus provided for this woman what no one else could have given her, a whole body. Jesus healed her. There is no way the synagogue ruler could have healed this woman's back. But at the very least, he could have done, what he could have done was to show her some respect, provide her some dignity, and at the very least, he could celebrate with her. Let me make it clear. Let me make it very clear that this story really is about pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. That's what the gospel does. That's the reason Luke is telling the story. But the other lesson we should learn from these events in this synagogue 
is that we cannot all be healers, but we can all treat one another like sons and daughters of Abraham, a people who have worth in the eyes of God. And when we do that, when we treat each other like that, we have the spirit of joy. So folks, there are spirits at work in this world. I ask you which spirit is at work in you? Is it the crippling spirit? Is it a legalistic spirit or is it a spirit of joy? Whichever one it is will make all the difference in your life and in the life of other people. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.